0: What is wrong with Nike? Nike is a damn jogging company, man. Black people don't jog. You ain't going to catch no black person running 26 miles for no damn reason. Then the
1: pull pool over, think you done stole something. Don't worry, friends. You are still listening to a Runner's Life podcast. Thank you and welcome to everyone that's listened. And also welcome to new listeners. Now, this is a snippet from the film Air. And my guy, Rob, who I speak with on the podcast today, we always have a joke about this particular Chris Tucker line. the movie air take into account that we're both black and we both run marathons so and as you can appreciate the irony is not lost on either one of us anyhow back to today's guest rob i met him at the 2023 black unicorn event at the boston marathon and yeah he's a stand-up guy he's doing big things his first marathon was under sub three and he's just been kicking on but regardless of the times the guy works full-time He's married, he's got three girls, so that's three shotguns. And now I've said this publicly, you can hold me to this. If you ever seen the scene in Bad Boys 2 with Reggie, Rob, I will uh, definitely play your, your sidekick to uh, the dad, because I've got a daughter myself, so I completely understand what you're going to have to be going through, bro. So jokes aside, we talk about the team around Rob and who helps him from his coaches to his training partner to his wife, Jordan. He talks about the importance of just trying to maintain that balance and supporting each other during that, that partnership that is marriage. We take a deep dive into the Boston Marathon itself, how it went for him, and we share some sort of similar experiences. I share some of the questions from the audience, so thank you to everyone that submitted them. There's two reasons why I reference the movie Air. Firstly, because of the banter between Rob and I, and secondly, because of our mutual appreciation for Jordan sneakers. And if you're a sneakerhead, you're going to love this part of the conversation. But on a serious note, beyond Rob's passion for running and what he wants to do in the sport, which I think is amazing, we also take a serious look at mental health and disordered eating, and he's really open about his struggles through that and how he's working his way through that. So, you know, so I just want to give people a a warning about that section. But if you're experiencing similar things, you know, I'm not trained or qualified to advise on what to do but i would say always speak out to someone close to you speak out to your doctors speak out to your gps if you need help go and get that help as to say thank you to saw running who sponsored this series thank you to everyone that supports the show shares the show we couldn't do it without you so thank you and with that being said let's head to the conversation with rob hey rob it's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast welcome to a runner's live podcast
0: thanks man i appreciate you having me today uh before we get started real quick I want to shout out my boy Chad. Uh, He's the one that got me into running. I owe everything to him. And then my boy JB out in Denver. And then Hannah and Ned, my two training partners. They put in a lot of work. They took me under their wing. Uh, Got me going early when I joined the team. That's coached by Matt Ebersole, my guy out uh, here in Indiana. Uh, I love him. he's, He's really pushing me, making me better every day. And then last but not least, my lovely wife. Uh, she puts up with all my aches and pains and all my little requests to make sure that I'm ready on race day. She's like the manager, PR, everything for me, and I love her.
1: I think that's amazing to hear, and actually, I think you're the first guest that's actually done a shout out to your people that support you and make you who you are off the jump, so I think that's amazing to, to hear that from your side.
0: Yeah, thank you. I mean, I'm here because of my my talents and skills, but... Those people all helped me in some way. Uh, Chad and JB, more like the mental aspect, like I've been to them about the sometimes the pains or just like how I'm tired of running. And then Hannah and Ed, like we go out there to practice Tuesdays and Saturdays and sometimes Thursdays together and we're just grinding it out all day. And then Matt, the coach, like we, me and him talk on the phone constantly about how I can get better every day. And like, he really sees the potential in me, and he came to me at an over, really. He hasn't had a runner like me, which is good. Um, I'm more rare. I'm rare in the running world. Uh, and then my wife, you know, she's stuck by my side through all this. Uh, I miss out on dinners, evenings with the family. That's because I'm running, but she understands that she wants to see me achieve my goals.
1: I want to go back to the point you talked about, your coach, Matt, and he's talking about You know, when someone sees potential in you, like how powerful that is for a person and their development. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah, so I actually got in touch with him after the 2022 Boston Marathon. I was riding the bus back to the airport when I landed in Indy. The guy was talking about how he trained out of a certain area where I lived at. And he told me I need to get in contact with Matt story of short i told matt my background he said uh, so you only played basketball and football growing up and i was like yeah and he's like that doesn't correlate to long distance i was like i know i just i got talked into it into a race and then i trained on a treadmill for my first marathon like 95 percent of my training was on a treadmill looking back at it, it was horrible i was just doing like all-out <laughs> effort tempo on the treadmill and dying every every morning, and then I would run a long run on Saturdays with my friend, and I ran two fifty eight. When I told him that, he's like, "You really got potential here. Uh, nobody just picks up marathon running and does that." And then we talked, and then I joined the team June of twenty twenty two, and then I've been under his wing since then.
1: That's mad. Two fifty eight off the jump.
0: Yeah, two fifty eight off the jump. And the crazy thing is. Uh, I stopped like seven times because I was cramping up uh, before the finish line, cramping up. And I had a minor foot injury then as well. And I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it. So I, I had some buffer time. So I just stopped and stretched, stopped and stretched. I knew I had some time to spare. Uh, all my At that time, my goal was just get under three or three flat. So I didn't care how big of a buffer it was. I just wanted it to be three or under.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think it's really important that you sort of it started this way, of talking about just the people around you. But I think for the purpose of the conversation, can you tell us like, who Rob is and what drives you as a runner?
0: Rob, man, I am. I'm never content. There's, there's After every race, I'm already looking at numbers about how I can improve. Or after a workout, I'll call coach and like, hey, look, I need you to download my numbers right now so we can talk about it. I'm always striving to get better at my craft. Uh, some people see this as a hobby. It's not to me. I see it more than that. I see it as a way to be something that I want. I mean, when you get to this age, you think your high school glory days are over and honestly, I think my stuff's just beginning. Uh, I I really I really am hungry for this and then definitely if you think about it, you and I met at a, at a black running event, there's not many of us. So if I can stay healthy and keep cracking down the times like that, I could really do something or be the face of black running, and I'm I'm trying to make that happen. But overall, man, I'm always hungry, I'm just trying to live life to the fullest.
1: I think it's really important you talked about the black unicorn marathoners, which we'll, we'll get onto. There's so much in that uh, which is really important. I want to touch on as well the the point about wanting to be a good point of reference for other black runners like you're saying i think a lot of people might look at us and think oh yeah but there's loads of black runners but yeah maybe in africa but i don't know those runners i don't run with those runners like from yeah. where i'm at i don't see people running marathons
0: exactly you're 100 percent correct it's and honestly you're this more short distance like you'll see them in track and field you're not going to see them in long distance 5ks 10ks and all that stuff i mean i can tell you so far since the calendar year i've ran five events and I've been the number one black runner outside of the Boston Marathon. And if you take out, like, the Kenyans and things of that nature, like, I'm toward the top. Every Saturday, we train at a place here in Indiana. And when I tell you, it's, like, a breeding ground for, like, like dogs. Like, these runners, there's elite runners there. There's former Olympians. And I'm, like, the only, I am the only black person that park every Saturday. Cranking it out with my teammates, just seeing that uh, makes me go even harder every Saturday. And then when we practice that on Tuesdays, there's not there's no black people around there either.
1: It's interesting you talked about the color side. do you feel that that's like a, a pressure or like a privilege when you sort of see you're the only person there?
0: Not, I wouldn't say pressure. It's more so I think of it as like um, I'm not a threat to people. Like they're not they're not worried about me. So it's, it takes less pressure off me, to be honest, because uh, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I always want to perform to my fullest. But I know when I go to the start line, some people will be like, oh, okay. Because uh, the, the way I'm built, the way I look, I don't look like the average runner. So I look more like a sprinter, and that's fine. They can sleep on me, but when that gun goes off, they'll most likely be behind me. So that's how I think of it. It's more like a sneak attack.
1: I think the more that people underestimate you sometimes probably the better to be honest but yeah I think by people seeing your results I don't think they will be for too much longer <laughs> so
0: yeah it's my times are only going to get faster man
1: yeah I think one of the important things you talked about was the was about the support of your wife. And you actually touched upon this in a recent post, which I thought was a really nice touch. And I'm just going to say your words. Thank you to the wife, Jordan. It's not easy taking care of three kids and an injured, needy and always running husband. But she does a damn good job at it. Those PRs are not done by me, but by her as well. Because of all of her sacrifices, including time, as it allows me to work on my craft. Words can't thank you enough. So you've said a lot here, but can you talk a little bit more about like how you obviously she supports you, but you could talk a little bit about like how you support her as well. Cause it's obviously like a two way thing, especially in a, in a partnership.
0: Yeah. Touch back on the PR comment though. Um, after every race, I, I usually shout out her um, because going into every race, like there's always plans to be made or we talk to my parents of who's going to watch the kids. Like she handles all that. Like my, like for example, if you reach out to me on race week about some agenda item, I'm like, I'm not doing anything this week. I just run. Talk to her. Uh, she handles everything. Like If we're driving out of town, she'll do the driving that time. She lets me sit in the back seat with the compression boots on. She picks out the food because I'm very, uh, and we'll talk about this later on, but I'm really picky on food. It's really hard with what I got going on. But she helps care to my needs and puts me at ease on that. But with her, um, she's a hard worker. Uh, she, she drives me so early on in our relationship the last couple of years, she was working on her master's, her master's degree in her field. And just seeing her take care of three kids while going to school. And then me staying up late just so I can like talk to her. Cause I didn't want to bother her during the school time. Uh, that she would be in the evenings, uh, we're just a we're just a really good team, man. We we compliment each other. When I'm down, she knows how to pick me up. When she's down, I know how to pick her up.
1: I think it's such a great example for your kids to see as well, like both of you getting at it and supporting each other in your pursuits.
0: Yeah, uh I mean I wouldn't be where I'm at without her support. Honestly, like there's there's a couple of times like, man, I feel like I'm missing too much. Or she'll uh, so, I mean, it's right for her to be tired of me running sometimes and she'll make a comment. Nothing like mean or anything. I'm like, man, maybe I should just stop. And then I'll like, I'll, I'll talk to her about, hey, I can stop or run less. And then she's like, I, it makes you so happy. And your results are getting better and better. I just want to see you happy. If it makes you happy, uh, we'll work around it. Uh, she sacrificed a lot of time and a lot of single, she calls it single mom nights on Tuesdays because I had practice. So she's all by herself, single mom Tuesday, she calls it. Uh, But since I'm out of a training block right now and there's not much running, I'm there every evening, I'm cooking dinner, washing dishes again. So I feel like I'm helping out now.
1: I hear you. I think it's really tricky though, especially like you're saying, when someone's got a passion or a craft, like you're saying, that they're working to perfect, like you don't always get the... The balance i just don't like the word the, the balance right so mm-hmm. to have someone that can understand that is key but also you're not taking liberties and just being like it's all about me so you know i mean it's work it's a it's a partnership as well so it's a tricky place to be in
0: yeah she she gave herself the nickname the wiper so manager <laughs> pr she's the one that handles uh the posting on race day uh, takes the pictures the candid ones and things of that nature uh, she does it all man uh I love her for it. We have fun with it. Boston was a ball this year. We got some really dope photos and we got to spend some quality time.
1: And talking about Boston, we actually met but we didn't actually know each other properly at the time at yeah. the Black unicorn marathoners event. Can you talk a little bit about that event and what it meant to you to be there?
0: Yeah, so when I first found word of about it, I was like, Oh, this is this is really cool. Uh I remember last year, like just walking around, I didn't see many uh, African-American black people there uh, walking the streets of Boston just when I was trying to go to the events. So when I found out about this year, I was, yeah, I was signed up immediately. It was cool to see that because like statistics wise, like, OK, they say about two or three percent of marathoners are black. And then. To be in boston you have to be you have to hit certain speeds i know for me i had to be sub three and there's only about one percent of people that can really run that so if there's one percent of people and there's two to three percent of marathoners are black there's not really many one percent under that three for african-americans so i was like man this is my chance to like network meet some people and learn some tips i thought it was amazing i loved it it was really cool being around everybody that has the same passion, and also comes from a similar background almost.
1: It's so true when you talk about the percentages and how low they are, especially for marathoners generally. And then when you factor in black runners that are, aren't say from say, Kenya, or Ethiopia, and like you're saying, it, it's a great event to kind of be seen and celebrate each other. Yeah, and I think for me as well, it's just like it. It was a good feeling because you kind of feel like. It's not just you by yourself. Even though you're running the race by yourself, like we're running together. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I definitely. I definitely feel you on that because, I mean, when we got to that section on the course, like I was looking over there. I was like, yeah, that's like, it's my people. And you feel, you feel more included, I feel like, uh, this year with having that event. It was definitely cool. I, I plan on going back next year. They have one that's right up my alley. I love it.
1: It's funny you talk about next year. I love the the fact you're talking about next year. Initially, I was thinking, oh, I don't know if I want to run Boston next year. But after two weeks, I'm like, when can you sign me up? <laughs> Do you know what I mean?
0: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm definitely. I have some. I have some demons to fight back for Boston. Uh, like I said, my my worst marathon, but some people's best marathon was at Boston, which was my second Boston. I mean, which was my first Boston. It was three hours flat, like three on the dot. Uh, I was, I was determined uh, this year to get a better time. Uh, some things didn't work out the last month and a half, uh, my training, which hampered my time. But I was able to get a PR, so I was super happy. And we can talk about that a little bit down the road.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just talking about that, I mean, the three hours on the dot, that's a painful one exactly when it's like zero, zero, zero. You, you must be thinking, surely I could have taken maybe that corner a bit tighter or something like that. So it's funny
0: that you say that, man. So mind you, like I'm, I just got onto the running scene. Like I, I just ran one marathon, things of that nature. So I'm running in like an Apple Watch. So I don't even have like a legit running watch. And you know, when you, they take you to Boston, you're sitting in this field for in the middle of nowhere for like two hours. And like I have no phone or anything. I'm texting from my Apple Watch. So I'm killing my battery. I'm like, oh, man, this is not good. So, when you're running, it's going to kill it more. It it literally died the last mile and a half. So, I didn't know where I was at time-wise. If I would have knew where I was at time-wise, oh, you best believe I would have been trying to cook it. to get like a 259 or something like that. I was just happy. I was pleased that it was three flat when I found out after my watch died. Because I always made the joke, like, if I'm running over three hours, somebody come save me. Because running... <laughs> I love the challenge of running. I don't love running. <laughs> people gotta understand that there's a difference. There's a huge difference right there.
1: Do you know, what, I completely agree with that sometimes because I feel like with certain training days, I'm out there running. I'm like, do you know, what, I don't like this, but I love the feeling of when you're in the race or you're pushing yourself. And that's an amazing feeling.
0: Yeah, 100%. Like, my thing with running is people, like, if you're shooting basketball or playing basketball, football, any other sport, like, people are more willing to go try, like, go to a park and shoot a basketball or throw a football or baseball or things of that nature. But nobody's going to be like, oh, I'm going to wake up and go run 15 miles a day at a 550 pace just for fun. Like, nobody's going to do that. Like, it only takes a select few. I like that people think that it's crazy and think that, like, well, when I tell them my morning routine, they're like, yeah, you're, you're crazy. Like, I like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think yeah it's so cool to like like hear that as well and just like hear a little bit about the mindset. Now, I want to take a quick flashback of Boston 2023. We're going to take a deep dive into the race, but I really want to look at where we are today because obviously sometimes when you look back at where you were, you know, you can have a, a different perspective. So, yeah. you ran a 2:42 PR at Boston 2023. When you look back at that race and you cross the finish line from today's point of view, what do you reflect on? as like what kind of sticks out your mind
0: uh, honestly i i ran the race to a t uh my body was beat up going into the race um i had achilles tendonitis going in and i didn't even know if i was gonna be able to actually run it so like the last month and a half it was a lot i spent like two grand and like rehab services just on my foot to even make it like to make it to Boston, um, I knew Boston was gonna be brutal because uh, the downhills. I was more worried about the downhill than I was uphills because uh, the hills didn't scare me the year before. And then the first five miles is pretty much all downhill, and my Achilles was feeling it from mile five. Uh, so I was like, "This is gonna be a long race, <laughs> longer than what it should be." But 2:42, I am definitely pleased with it, knowing the conditions of my body. But overall there's more to be uh determined like i left some time out there i know i did i was in great shape i didn't run a 20 miler uh i ran several i ran seven 20 milers during my course of the training uh, but i didn't get the wrong one like the last month and a half just due to my foot so that lets you know in general though my conditioning was great uh my coach we worked hills where we where we trained at on saturdays like i said it's a breeding ground but it's it's got everything you need, definitely for Boston. It's got the rolling hills, it's got big hills, it's got the flat. It was perfect, and I would I would cook there on Saturdays. I was excited for Boston, um, but with all with all that said, I, you can only do so much with the body. So two forty two, like I said, I'm happy with it. But my training, my times beforehand, reflect that I'm better than that. And that's why next year I'm going to go to Boston and I'm going to cook it. Like I'm, I'm guaranteeing you I'm going to cook it. No doubt about it. I'm definitely a 230-something guy. And I'm going to get that in Berlin this fall. And then I'm going to be even closer to the to, uh, low 230s by October.
1: Bro, I didn't realize you were at Berlin. This is the first I heard about it. I'm at Berlin as well. We'll have to catch up. Oh,
0: yeah. We're definitely going to catch up in Berlin. And yeah, uh, I'm, I'm excited for that. Uh, my teammate, Hannah, that I shouted out, at the beginning, she's going for her uh, OTQ, uh, so we're pretty much going to be working together. Uh, if she doesn't leave me, but we'll be, we're going to go for 237 below, and then the following month is going to be my A-race, so I'm going to shoot for low 230s and see where it goes.
1: It sounds like a So what's your A-race?
0: My A-race is going to be the Indianapolis Monumental, October 28th. Uh, like I said, it's it's a month after Berlin, uh, but Berlin will be nice. So let me know what I need to change up before my A race. But my teammate and I, uh, we're gonna cook Berlin. We we have all systems go. I just need to be healthy and start this summer block on the right foot. Oh, a side note, my teammate Hannah, she's she's a dog. <laughs> I give it to her. She she works. And like you know, there's there's some differences between the female runners and the guy runners when it comes at times and things like that. But man, I'll tell you in practice, she's like right there on my shoulder sometimes, right on my hip and I feel it. It just makes me go even harder. So that's why like I had to shout her out at the beginning. And then, like I said, my guy, Ned, he he knows how to, he knows how to put me in my place and challenge me. So I like him. He's like the big brother that I don't have. Between us, like we train together, we practice together, we talk together. In the day, though, when that race goes, they're my competition. I'm I'm trying to beat them. When they come close to me, I'm upset. Like I know how hard they work, but in my head, I work harder. So I'm trying to beat them at every in every practice, everything. Just like they are trying to beat me. So I mean, we're only gonna make each other better.
1: That that yeah, makes a lot of sense. I just want to go back to something you talked about actually a couple of times about you know wanting to sort of perfect your craft, and then even you touched upon it even with the, the race itself and having things that you want to tweak. And this is probably in a question for me. So this is why I'm asking it because I'm trying to still process it because basically for Boston, I didn't reach my goal of bettering my PR, but I got a course record and I also got a course record at London six days later, but I don't feel like I sat back and went, Oh, well done. You kind of thing. You just move forward. And sometimes mm-hmm. I think like, is that um the right way to do things like should there be a moment of time where people you know, people say this like there's a moment in time where you should sit back and celebrate yourself and clap yourself but for me like those moments are very very small and it's just like almost back at it it's almost like just getting back into things do you think is it kind of something similar for you do you feel like you just kind of don't really celebrate the wins so you just kind of back at it
0: yeah uh i agree with you 100 percent. honestly that's funny that you say that because after boston uh we're in the airport I'm talking to my wife, and like I looked at her, I was like, I'm actually truly happy about this result. Like, given what was done with the body, uh, injury-wise, I was really pleased with it. Like, I gave it my all, and I felt like that's what the day had to offer, and I took full advantage of it. Because you know, there's races you go out there, you, you might have a good time, but you like you know you left time out there. Like even when you're like, but you're healthy. So I'm looking at it. I knew I was injured going into Boston. So I changed my goals around. Like, I'm not going to get this 2.30 time that I deserved and work my ass off for it, But I got to rearrange my goals. So I had plenty of time to – I had enough time to move that around in my head to let me be focused on a new goal, a uh, new hindsight. So I was thoroughly pleased. And then she looked at me and said, I think that's the first time I ever heard you, like, Honestly, be pleased with yourself after a race. So, like you say, like I'm always hungry. Uh, I always feel like there's something I could have done different. Uh, but it does feel good to patch it up on the back every right now and then. So uh, you got to loosen up a little bit, man.
1: <laughs> Do you know what? It's interesting you said that because I feel like you knew that, even despite what happened, that like you didn't take the the foot off the gas. So, like, you knew you went into that race. Like, there's when you look back at it, I gave my best. Like, I didn't think, oh, I'm just going to ease off. I'm just going to give the best I can in every moment to the end.
0: Oh, 100%. Like I said, my Achilles was shot after the first five miles. Like, I, I knew it was, I could feel it swelling up. When I, I went into the race knowing that I was going to be in a lot of pain toward the end and after the race for a few days. And I was like, when you, when you know that, it kind of helps you prepare better. So I mean, I just took advantage of it and just kept going. Like there's a couple times where uh, I got to rest it, like going flat or uphill actually helped too. And I was like, okay, this is cool. And then I would fill it again, not fill it, not fill it again. After a while, though, you just black out. You just you just get used to the pain. You just go, just keep going. Because at the end of the day, majority of people that run a marathon gonna be in some pain. So it is what it is.
1: Yeah, it's so true, and I was thinking about your advice to me as well, because I was thinking, I was thinking, was I unhappy or truly unhappy after the race? Was I happy about it? I don't know, I feel like I was satisfied with what I did on the day, but I was wanting a bit more. I think it's just that greediness is oh. a determining factor.
0: Yeah, 100%. Uh, I mean, I just ran a half marathon last week, and I had some, I got another foot issue going on, and now I'm taking a break, finally. But I was cooking in mile seven, man. I just, my foot was already messed up. I stepped wrong and it just, it just blew up on me. I was just hanging on for dear life. I mean, it was still a PR, but it was, it was definitely, now that was a race like, oh man, I know I had time out there. Like I should have been like at least two minutes faster. Uh, because my teammate, she almost beat me by like a minute. And I'm like, man, I mean, she's good, but she ain't a minute better than me. Uh, but yeah, that's going to push me in the next workout when I get 100% healthy. I'm going to remember that. And then it's going to push me. And then it's also going to help her as well.
1: It's very rarely that you have a race where everything aligns. And the fact that you can find the best bits within, see, the said Boston Marathon is is, is amazing. But then also, like, you know, in the race afterwards, it's like, okay, well, I know it's not going to be my day for this reason, but that's still cool. So I can give what I can in, in the day.
0: Yeah, I think I've only had, like, one race. Like that, and it was, it was Michigan last year, the month before the Chicago Marathon, and I was running this last chance BQ out in Michigan, and that wasn't my A race, and we knew Chicago was coming up, and my coach was like, "All right, when you get to like the last ten k, you should be. I mean, you're prepared, you're good. Once you to turn off the gas, some. So because we, I mean, we have Chicago, we don't want to exert it." So, like, at that time, my PR was a 258. I ran that Michigan race, and it was smooth, man. It felt great. <laughs> it sucked turning it off at the last, t- uh, last 10K. I finished at a 246, and it felt smooth. Like, I-, I went back to practice that following Monday after travel. Didn't feel a thing. Like, my body was great. I was ready for Chicago. The- I mean, that was one race, like, everything clicked, like, I wonder what my time could have really been if I went full go and then even went harder on the 10k at the end.
1: It's hard it's conversations. It's like those could of woulda shoulda conversations. Yeah. You could end up, you, you know, at some point you just know, like, how do you know when to draw the line and just be like, it's the past. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah. It, it sticks. It, it stings a little bit, but I mean, I went to Chicago the month, the month after and, beat that time by another three minutes and i was on in that one i was on track for like, i broke the half at 117 uh 55 and i was on track i was doing good man and then cramps just got me and i ended up dying out some so i finished with like a 243 some change so it was another three it was a three minute pr so i'll take it but there that was one of those ones that you leave like man like you said earlier, like he was satisfied, he was cool with it, but he wasn't satisfied.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think ultimately, like, what is the thing that like keeps you in the sport? What keeps you satisfied? Because if it was just the time, then I think, you know, it's black and white. And you- so there's there's still more in the sport that which sort of keeps us coming back. It's really not as much as the times are important. They aren't important.
0: Yeah, I mean. Times are important, but the thing that keeps me in the sport, like I said earlier, like people don't want to do it. It's people don't want to do it. They think you're crazy, which I like that. And then also with you and I, I mean, we have that color barrier. That I want to carry that. I want. I want that weight. Uh, I feel like I can do that. Like I'm, I'm different than a lot of the guys on my team. Things of that nature. Uh, I got my. Got my own little logo and stuff. I, I have jumpsuits. Like, I'm swagged out. It's like you look good, you feel good, you run good. That's me.
1: Exactly. That's why the Jordans had to come out <laughs> the whole weekend. <laughs>
0: you
1: you <laughs> got to wear what you have to wearing.
0: Yeah. If you if you guys would have told me to wear Jordans to the meetup, I would have been there with that. I can. Uh, <laughs> back in the day, I used to work at Finish Line. Foot Locker, I was a manager for them. I have a nice little Jordan collection. Man.
1: All right, we're going to have to get into that sort of online and offline. Now you know next year.
0: <laughs> no, I got you for sure.
1: I just want to go back into your training for Boston. And I think the question in my mind, and so you did up to 10 100-mile weeks. It's, it's crazy like how you, you you accomplished that because you've got work and you've got three kids. It's not like you're just one guy by himself napping during the day and you've got stuff happening. Like How did you... What's more ma- amazing for me? This is a very long winded question. Is like how you manage to do that, but then still allow time to recover? Because if you, you can do the work, but if you're not recovering, then it's pointless.
0: Yeah. So I start off in the mornings around four o'clock in the morning. Uh, I do my weights and then I run my first part of my double. So, majority of I started doubles in January. So the morning runs are easy. Since I'm at the gym, already lifting weights, I do those on the treadmill. Uh, I do those at like a eight minute pace, seven and a half minute pace, nothing too flashy. I get my 10 miles in, that builds up your endurance. And then I would do the nightcap as soon as I got home. Like I pick up my kid from school. So I didn't miss too much family time. I get her dinner set up while uh, mom and the other two children are on the way home cause she picks them up from her side of town. And then I run my six miles a little bit faster than when I did in the morning just so I don't miss too much family time and that's how I got my doubles done but I mean recovery wise I'm talking like I would fall asleep in the compression boots I put the compression boots on before bed I, I get the kids settled in and then I just sit there and then most like when I put those on it's automatic nap time like, there's so many pictures that my wife has of me falling asleep in those things i I use them in the car, use them everywhere, and then my ther—I have a—I have a therapy place that I would go to during my lunch breaks. Um, I would do like the whole body cryotherapy, and then sometimes the red light and sauna, and that really helped. I mean, it made my body a hundred percent for—I made it feel like a hundred percent. It was never a hundred percent though.
1: Do you know what? Like, I spoke to a guy called Carl Gloucester. And he ran 234 in the London Marathon and he was saying kind of similar type things. He, The compression boots are, are like a lifesaver for him. And I'm listening to you say it. So I think I might need to invest in a pair of compression boots. <laughs> no,
0: understand. they're worth the investment. You got to get it. If you want a good nap too, it's a guarantee. Like you definitely got to put them on. I, I don't know too many people that can last that long without falling asleep in them, to be honest.
1: Yeah, they are comfortable. I mean, I don't know, I've used like the Epsom salt bars for quite a while. I found they work quite well. But I'm definitely going to get on the compression boots as well.
0: Yeah, the Epsom salt, that's part of my Sunday routine. Uh, I got a Sunday routine. Um, So I I lift Monday through Friday and run. And Saturday is just my long run. And then I'm done for the day. But Sundays, it's an easy run. Four to six miles, depending on what the coach has planned. And then on Sundays, after that run, I go do agility work in the gym and one leg strengthening and stretching. So like I said, I'm I try to build myself to be more like a hybrid athlete. And then in general running is like a one a one footed sport. Like people like you're running on two feet but like you need that one foot at a time. So I do a lot of a lot of one legged stuff to work on that, work on the feet, things of that nature. And then I'll go home getting the Epsom salt bath. That's the first thing I do on Sun that's my Sunday routine. Epsom salt bath a podcast and some coffee
1: (laughs) i love listening to your routines for this if you don't have discipline then none of this happens
0: oh yeah i'm i'm definitely a routine guy like i haven't ran this week i'm taking the week off and maybe next week i'm still waking up like i do uh have a run in the morning and going to the gym and lifting still i just feel like that that's me like if i break my routine it's gonna be hard for me to get back into waking up you just don't snap your fingers and start waking up at 4 a.m. again, it's going to take some time. Then I'm killing my time at the gym or running. So I'm staying in my routine as much as possible, even without being in my routine, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think it's really cool to hear about the routine. I think we could even do a podcast in itself on that because I, I'd be interested to know about that. But, I mean, essentially, you're just doing the right things to allow you to facilitate, being able to run optimally. And I think that's really cool to hear. Because like, I don't think people probably appreciate like all the work that goes into making the time that you did happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, just looking at my training block, I was talking to Coach yesterday. We had, it was a 19-week training block, and it wasn't really a full 19 weeks, if you think about the last like month and a half. It was over 1,500 miles. <laughs> uh, I'm talking 11, 13-hour weeks of running. That's that's a lot of running right there. It's a lot of time, so you need to have some type of setup or routine to keep you on that strict scale.
1: Absolutely. We've talked a little bit about your why and your drive to to run and and you know break you know two fourteen, get to the two thirties. And I think that's really cool to hear. Can you talk a little bit about your training principles? About like what your build up looked like in the the build up to Boston. Like I can share a workout that I did, but it'd be interesting to hear some of your training principles as well.
0: Yeah, um, you want to
1: go ahead and share yours first, and I go. Yeah, so the two four two workout. Basically, you do two miles tempo or marathon pace effort up a hill, and then you have like five minutes recovery or whatever. Then you find like a half mile stretch of road. It's got to be uphill, and you basically go up and down, up and down, for four miles. So that's the, that's the forward part, and then you have a like five minute break, and then you do two miles down. But for some reason, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I ended up getting my maths completely wrong. I ended up doubling the four into eight. So I ended up doing eight miles up and down the hill. So for me, like, that was a, a really solid workout. And I sort of felt like after that, I was just like, I feel like I'm in a good place to kind of to, to, to go to Boston.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the best workouts, there was two solid ones that included Hill's. Uh, so where we train at on saturdays it's it's already hilly and you got the rolling hills you got a lot of stuff there but it's called the lighthouse to lighthouse and that's literally two miles to the one lighthouse and two miles back to the other lighthouse but it's all hill work, like literally almost all hill work. and then so we had a workout where we'd run two miles hard from the one lighthouse to the other lighthouse and then like a i want to say like a minute recovery and then we do it again and again and again and again uh that one was it was good you definitely allowed to cook um it worked it worked everything and then the next one it was one that we go to on tuesdays we did he put the cones out he measured them we go we do 400 uh, meter repeats up the hill so we go all out and then after we do like four or five of those and then we would do 800. And then we go even more. And then more. Uh, it's just all speed work. So Tuesday nights are speed work practice. It's just you're going out there gassing. Go, 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 go. Uh, Saturdays is long runs. Slash with some quality. But not too much quality. Um, so you're trying to build your endurance. But you're also doing some speed in a long run. Which is nice. And then for me... Thursdays for majority of the team is moderate quality. Uh, we usually him and I go back and forth and change up my plan. It's more of a higher end moderate quality, not all the way high quality, but it's up there with some speed uh, for sure. That's uh, that's pretty much the the summary of my workouts going from Boston. So Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, those are the money makers.
1: Okay. So you've got at least like two and a half days of quality work. Then I guess on Saturdays, like you're saying, you've got that longest run with some quality. But then I guess you've got a long run as well on Sunday as well in Tide Lakes.
0: Well, uh, Sundays are usually four to six miles depending. But yeah, my Saturdays, I told them I didn't want to run anything under 16. If it's not under if it's under 16, I, it's not worth my time. I'm joking about it. So it's either 16, which me, uh, I'm... I'm the one that always pushes it. So if it's 16, I'm most likely going to do 18. Like a lot of my 20 milers always turned into 22. <laughs> uh, it is coming to the point like 22 is getting too easy. Uh, we ran like a we ran like a 20 miler practice, 22 miler at practice, and it was um, like a 6:20. I felt great, and I was like, "This is practice." Like the next week, two weeks later, when it came back to the longest run. I was like, "Oh, guys, let's let's just run twenty six in practice." And uh, Hannah and Ned, like, they told me to calm down. They they, <laughs> they hold they they rein me in some. Mostly Ned, he tells me when to back off. <laughs> I need to calm down, so I'm thankful for him. But one of these days, I'm gonna end up pulling a twenty six in practice and calling it a day.
1: <laughs> you know, I think you, you're right in saying. Like, I think sometimes in our own minds, we can we want to keep pushing, but we need like those people around us to like guide us and like rein us in we're going too far but I can completely understand like the the mindset of wanting to do those 20 plus miles I mean I was kind of similar before Boston I was like thinking about the hill work that I wanted to do but then I really wanted to make sure that like 20 miles plus I was just doing that like comfortably weekend after weekend after weekend so it's so when you're in Boston and you're hurting you've got a point of reference of what you did in the build up to it
0: yeah i feel you there is that exactly so like i know as the race goes on my time might go a little slower i mean you're not full go but like those saturday practices that we had man like i'm running 20 like we're running twenty, twenty two easy like i'm telling you like it was 6 30 6 40 we're we're talking the whole time like we're having fun with it and it we weren't breathing hard like you know sometimes you get to the saturday it is like oh man, I really got to do this. So you are a little tired. It's a little harder sometimes, but like breathing wise, we were all good. And we all pushed each other. Uh, we worked really hard on those Saturdays and it paid off when I was in pain. I was able to dial back down but not lose too much time because like 6.30, 6.40 is still like a quality time to have. Like I didn't have to go to walking or anything like that.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. i got some of the listeners to send us some questions. Danny asks what is your favorite find out where I am session in a marathon block? Do you have that one go to run that you think, okay, I've, i if I hit this in this particular time, I know I'm good to go at the marathon in X weeks.
0: Yeah. So we had like a, we had a tempo run and I had my two, my two teammates weren't there and I was by myself and I just cooked it. It was, I ran, uh, like I said, this course on Saturdays is tough. It's, Toughest place to ride at in Indy for the most part. And uh, I ran that 18 miles at a 5.59. And this was like middle, beginning of mid-February, maybe early February. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm fast. Like, I'm going to be good. Like, I just ran this. And this is the hardest. Like, this, I feel like these hills are harder than Boston. Uh, and I ran this at 5.59, average, 18. And I didn't, like stop for water or anything like that like i'm good (laughs) i felt good like that was the one that made me real confident
1: i just want to get your thoughts on this like mindset and i don't know how you you approach this but i think as i've got more experience running the marathons one thing i i've got better at like my my mindset management like before in terms of like releasing the energy and like knowing when to kind of like save it so there's, like, a very short window pre-race where I gonna go full, like, David Goggins, <laughs> like, hand mode on myself. But I don't go into that, like, too often because, like, you would burn out. Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> honestly, before, before, like, a race, like, I, I get, like, real quiet. I get, like, zoned in. Like, it's, like, you, like, black out in a way, like, nothing around you. You just see, like, if you're just sitting in a room. You're just sitting at the wall. But it's more like my favorite athlete of all time is Kobe Black Mamba. It's, I call it the Mama mentality. Just like that—you just got to get in that zone, and I just lock in. And I, I before every race, like I'll go to Twitter and like tweet like a Kobe gif, like of him, like with the face making, saying he's like, like hungry or whatever. And that's when you know it's race day. Like I'll tweet that, and it's all systems go.
1: Is there any particular quotes from Kobe that like stick out to you? Oh man,
0: really, it's, it's the mama mentality in itself, like that dog, in mean, you. that is the number one thing that sticks with me about
1: Kobe. I know we've talked a little bit about your training in the build-up to Boston, but when you're thinking about Boston for next year, 2024, and you reflect on the training, what would you take from it? What you think works really well, but what would you change up? Obviously, I know this is a conversation with your coach as well, but just like initial thoughts...
0: Honestly, uh, my training was—it uh, was the best I've ever had. Uh, and my coach pushed my buttons to a T. Um, we go to practice on Tuesday. Uh, I'm like, "Hey, what times do you do you want to see?" he gave give me some times. Because I mean, like I said, if I'm gonna be running, at, if I'm missing time with the family, I want to make sure my time's worth it. I don't want to leave practice thinking that I did good. And he's like, man, he should have hit this time. Because uh, at the beginning, when I first got started getting coached by him, this guy, this guy, like, he was different than other coaches I've had. Like, okay, I thought I would do good. He just look at me, give me like a head nod or something, like, I, I want an expression or something. And then uh, we had a conversation a couple weeks later. He said, um, "Once you know, I'm like, I'm pleased with your work, uh, but I know you can do this and that." So when I started getting emotion out of him, that's, he don't even have to say anything. If he, he looks at me and gives me a head nod. Uh, he'll do his little head nod. And he, uh, <laughs> he does like a grin. That's when I know that it's good. So I, I want to know if my stuff is good. If I'm, I don't want to waste my time, his time or my family's time. So before practice, I'll text him like, Hey, what times I need to hit today? What times you thinking? And then I'm all systems go for practice. Um, so he knows how to push my buttons. Uh, definitely. Uh, overall, though, practice, I mean, leading up to Boston, I wouldn't really change much. Uh, maybe not be so gung-ho about getting 100-mile weeks. Once you get a couple, like, you just itch for them more. more. Uh, I would actually add more sleep. I don't sleep enough. Uh, so sleep and food, and we'll touch on the food aspect later. But, yeah, those are two things that I would add to it. I add those to it I think the uh, sky's the limit man
1: I think that's like really interesting to sort of hear that sort of side as well especially from your coach as well like you know like <laughs> when you've done a good job they give you like that nod but they you don't give it that, they don't give it that often so you gotta yeah. work
0: for it yeah he does not he does not hand it out like he's coach nine ten olympic trial guys and I'm trying to be one of the next like so he he's seen this before it's not this is not oppressing him so i gotta i gotta do better
1: (laughs) oh i love it i love it so let's jump into the boston marathon so jordan asks what is your pre-race routine and if so what is it
0: oh man so night before pre-race routine um so i definitely got we're talking about food here so i'll do my pre-race routine is i gotta have grilled chicken i gotta have my pasta as you know you got a carb load but i got my protein in there but before that uh, i mean after that i gotta do a face mask i got you you gotta look good for the cameras and the pictures like i make sure i try to catch every uh, camera i can on the course to be honest with you you never know uh who's gonna see that picture or when you post it what it could do for you it's kind of like you uh marketing yourself so like i said earlier you look good feel good and you run good so i do the face mask uh, and i relax man <laughs> gotta do my face mask for every race if i don't so i it's just something i've done since my first race and i'm gonna continue to do it and then the next morning uh i wake up go to the gym i go to the gym before every race uh, so me personally I, it's just what i do i do a core workout get the stomach going so you can use restroom you know what i mean I do core workout, do a little bit of arms so the arms look good, <laughs> and then I do a light jog on the treadmill. And that gets, like I said, it gets the body going, gets me warmed up, and all. And obviously, I do the stretching, and then I'm good to go. Like so, I started this routine on my Saturday practices because people like, man, I don't take in enough food. So like, I will go cook like 20 miles or something on an empty stomach and be fine, but. I did notice once I start doing two rice cakes and honey I'd be even better and then I uh, changed up my eating on Tuesday practices because I was starting to at the beginning of training on Tuesdays I was always used to running in the morning in the evenings uh, we would have practice but at the same time I would plan my eating so I would be tanking and practice so now before a race and before like a, a, like a hard practice I take a couple shots of honey. I'll eat honey on the rice cakes like an hour before, hour and a half. And then like right when I get to the practice, take a couple of shots of honey and I'm good to go.
1: I think it's really cool listening to like even the, the training routine and going back to the race routine and people may laugh, but I, I think it's it's a good point. Like if you look good, if you feel good, you're going to race good. So do what works. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, look at Deion Sanders, man. It worked for him.
1: But you're carving your own way, though, to be honest. You, you're doing your own thing in the running game, so I think that's it's really cool to hear.
0: Thanks, man. I appreciate that.
1: But I feel like I'd probably need to up my face mask game as well, to be honest.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. <laughs> hey, <laughs> uh, I can give you some face mask suggestions after this, but I, I mean, I'm more of a. I like the pill. I like the pill off ones, not the ones that you actually push on your face and like it's yeah. like a paper type i like the ones that they stick and peel off you wash off it feels more refreshing to me.
1: absolutely i've got friends who listen to this and they're probably going to think never at any point did i think that marcus and rob were going to talk about face masks but here we are
0: <laughs> oh yeah it's me i mean i do it all and then after after like a training blocker slash marathon you gotta go get the feet done you can't get it d- done during because you rip off those calluses it's going to hurt even more when you're pounding the pavement it's after that. You got to treat them right, take care of them because they get you from point A to point B in the marathon. So I definitely go get the feet done after.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just want to jump back into the race itself. I know we touched upon it as well, the Achilles issue um, from mile five up into 21. But can you do like a little walkthrough of what the race was like for you from moving from the start to the end?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, the first... Miles one through five, it's just pretty crowded. You know, it's it's narrow. You're just trying to find your own path. So I'm going downhill, and the more I keep going, my like, man, this hurts. Man, this hurts. Man, this hurts. And then after that, you get to pick it up some six through ten. I feel like, and then, so I, I all right, this is my time to cook. I let it. I let it go. Let it fly. It feels better on the Achilles, too. The funny thing about the Achilles injury, when I ran slow, it hurt. Like People thought I was just trying to be funny. Like When I ran slow, it hurt. So when I was able to run fast, it made me feel good. 6 through 10, that was good. Uh, The crowd was there. Everybody's carrying you. It feels good. This year, I didn't focus too much on giving the kids high fives like I did last year. I was locked in. Uh, I do apologize to the little ones out there in Boston. Um, then 10 to 15, you got, I want to say, what, the rolling hills, I want to say, you got some of that, a little bit, uh, so you back off some, but once again, man, like, the atmosphere, like, it allows you to black out, it, it becomes real easy, uh, at this point in the race, I'm definitely in some pain, because my foot, but overall, I'm feeling good, like, my breathing's good, my heart rate's not up at all, I mean, not, at For some people, it could be up. It depends on how you are. Me, like overall, my heart rate this race was lower than it was in Chicago. And uh, so that means I've I've improved from Chicago, I feel like. And I was pushing harder in Chicago. I wasn't pushing as hard as in Boston because I couldn't. So that made me feel really good. But then you get to the hills. (laughs) And then you got the mile 21. You got the parties going. And those allow you to just forget everything because honestly i was running looking to the side of me like looking at the party looking at the cameras, like looking at everybody just loving life and that allows you to like not even focus on the race and it's it's a good it's a good like not focus you know what i mean like you're not worried about it and next thing you know you're like boom mile 23 mile 24 then uh, you see the sit go sign and then you just after that you just you're on your way home man they just carry The fans carry you the last couple of miles.
1: I think, yeah, the, the crowds are incredible, especially in mile 21. I think one thing that people probably won't appreciate for from this year's Boston Marathon 2023 was the factor of the weather. So we had the, the headwind like right throughout, more or less. And then you had the two points of rain, I found. You had the light rain at the start, which kind of stopped quite early on. But then you had the heavy rain in the latter miles. Mm-hmm. How did you kind of find the weather impacted your race?
0: The rain at the end, honestly, it started to downpour when you took that left on Boylston. That was the real part where it got me. So depending on how far along you were in the course, you might have had it longer. But I only had it for like that last stretch. So it was, it was kind of like refreshing in a way. You know? Uh, you're know, <laughs> you you're over this marathon. You're ready to get the finish line. You get that, that rain, like that cold rain. So it felt good
1: be honest i think i was like mile 24 ish yeah so yeah i literally got it like a mile and a bit to go i was just like really <laughs> but it's funny hearing that refreshing part because especially like final stretch that's a long stretch multiple final kick the finish line yeah i watched a video that my wife took of it uh, a couple of times like
0: it was pouring and I was just like, man, I'm glad and hadn't run long in that. Now, if I would have had to run longer than that, oh, it would have sucked. But it was cool having it for like the last stretch.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know in earlier this conversation we talked about some of the learning points from Boston, but we touched upon it lightly. Can you give us like any indication? Because I think I think Boston really needs several races within one race. Uh, what lessons did you learn from this year's Boston that you're gonna take forward into twenty twenty four?
0: I, I respected the hills too much my first time. I will say that. like I, You're going to lose time on the hills. It's just the nature of the beast, I feel like. But you don't lose too much. And then after that, it's a cook show. You just let it go. You rip it. And then a lot of people will tell you, uh, it's not the hills that kill you. It's the beginning of the race. So don't use too much of the quads trying to burn burn out in the first five miles when it's all downhill. You want to take that. You want to be... A little bit off your goal pace or right at your goal pace maybe plus minus 10 below your goal pace but nothing too much and then you're good uh, if you use your quads early you feel definitely on that back end um, like this year for example I learned that lesson a lot the first time but I still had more power in me last time I just like I said just respected it too much I will say this year I got to the hills I was fine like after Boston this year, I felt, take away the pre-existing injury. I could have ran London the next week with you. <laughs> I felt great. Uh, last, the first Boston, I was wrecked. <laughs> I was I was wrecked. I didn't even want to think about running, to be honest
1: with you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Boston does that. It, it can take some souls. But like you're saying, I think if you kind of have an idea of what it's going to, if you run it before, you can try to prepare um the best ways to, to kind of alleviate that, within reason. I think there's always learning lessons for Boston. Like it, it sounds like you're pr- really prepared going into it, and even you know talking about the gym work and the leg work and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, like my first ever marathon. <laughs> my guy Chad, I, I would talk. He's the one that got me into running, right? And uh, and we were talking about lifting because I, when I first met him, I was on the heavier side, but also still lifted. And he's like, I was like, dog, do you lift?" Because I don't run. He said, "I don't really mess with running. It affects my. I mean, I don't. I don't really lift. It affects my running." And I was like, "Ah, okay." So when he talked me into running a marathon, I was like, "Oh, okay. I'm not going to lift." <laughs> oh man, I, I definitely faced some injuries during that. I mean, plus I wasn't training the right way anyway. So I wasn't training the right way. I wasn't lifting like I used to, and and I thought I had to be a certain figure. And a certain weight so I wasn't eating as much, and I was down to one forty-eight. I look—if you look at my first marathon compared to my last marathon, I just ran—my my body is completely different, and I'm just as healthy, and I'm still not doing the right things on the eating aspect, which we'll touch. But one forty-eight to one sixty-five, I'm getting faster, I'm stronger, and the, the weights—like runners do need to lift weights, like that's they got to. But, I mean, if you don't have to and you're so fast, like, more power to you. And if you're not injured, I give it to you.
1: Yeah, I think it's important that you're saying, like, the strength aspect is, is key. And it's really interesting to sort of hear what lessons you've learned and, like, you know, just making sure you're as best prepared as possible. I think that's an important. I think the overall lesson as well is just, like, not to get too fixated on trying to be a certain body type, but just accepting the body type you are and working to be healthy and strong to not just run but just to go through life you know you don't want to be mm-hmm. uh, unhealthy you, you can still be unhealthy in a runner
0: yeah that, like people think now my teammates they, they eat whatever I'm a little bit more body conscious than them like I said I I was a kid I was the kid growing up that would suck his stomach in at the pool parties and stuff and then get into the pool and they're like Ah, oh, I can breathe that stuff <laughs> hurt man it <laughs> makes make you bloated your stomach's all strained out from sucking it in or I'm wearing a shirt to swimming just because I didn't feel confident in myself. Now, nowadays, you might have to pay me to put a shirt on. <laughs> I,
1: I think a couple times in this conversation, you've talked a little bit about the food aspect. We were having a conversation offline in regards to mental health. You put mm-hmm. a post up about checking on your people, and I reached out way and said, Man, I hope you're doing well. And that led into a conversation, you know, talking about eating and disordered eating.
0: When you think of eating disorders, it's, it's very common in the running world, as you know, but in general, when you think of eating disorders, you just hear it, more people coming out on the female side, uh, and that's more power to them. They're stronger to come out about it, but there's guys that suffer from it, too, With like me. It was a lot. I, people have told me for a while I've had a problem, and it's just never really clicked, uh, and then I took a break last year after my November marath- uh, half marathon shortly after Chicago. And like that week, it really just hit me, uh, not running and doing things. So I suffer uh, with uh, orthorexia and versa. It's eating healthy. It's, a, it's an obsession with eating healthy, though, and uh, really restrictive behaviors to your food. So like, for example, like my wife, during my train block, sometimes she would cook my dinner. Well... I'm really strict. Like, ate turkey one day, chicken the next day. Turkey one day, chicken the next day. Well, God bless her. She made chicken on a turkey day, and it—I wasn't like necessarily mad at her, but it—it it messed me up mentally. Like, I did not know how to function. Like, I was looking at my plate, and I just couldn't function. And she was like, you "Need to get help." Like, I was—it really drove me crazy and it threw me off the rest of the week. Cause the next day I had to eat chicken again because i already ate chicken the night before it's it just messed me up and then in general i i eat healthy yes but i don't eat enough like you're talking about you can you know how much how many calories we burn in a workout like running and lifting and then just every day just breathing that you can't even see on your watch i i'm telling you like at best taking in a thousand calories if that like I'm running on E and putting up these numbers. Just think if I'm actually putting the right stuff in my body, well, more of the right stuff in my body what I can do. So it's it was hard. I see it, I see a therapist for it. And by doing that, by coming out like that, yeah, it also led to depression. I, they're, they go hand in hand, really. I was in a, a dark spot in November early on. Not like dark, dark, as in like, to, on that level but it just i didn't want to go to like thanksgiving for example because everybody around me is gonna be eating bad like i don't want i don't want to eat that stuff and everybody's be like oh rob have this have that and that stuff when you have this type of eating this where it actually makes me hot like when people like force food on me it it like really irritates me like i have to step away like oh here's a cookie eat this like no i don't i don't want the cookie thank you don't push it in my face, though. Like, and also, like, I eat. I eat alone. Like, if I eat at at my job, I eat in my office. Don't eat out in front of everybody, like, because then the first time I eat out in front of somebody, they're like, "Oh, he actually does eat." Blah blah. Like, I, I don't like that stuff. So, it's hard. Um, I got a dietitian slash nutritionist now uh, that coach hooked me up with. Uh, he joked about it early on because, like I said, I would tank at practices. On Tuesday, so like, here's an example of what I would eat. So on Monday morning, I mean Tuesday, for example, I do my workout in the morning. Uh, I run in the morning. I always run doubles on Tuesdays because I have to run before I work. I just this is just just have my mindset. If I don't run before I work, it's like tragic. <laughs> but so I do all that stuff, and then at lunch, I'm telling you at lunch, it's not even a lunch. I have a protein shake, uh, two oranges, and dark chocolate chips and then a rice cake. That's it. And then I was always set before I started practice on Tuesday. I'd get home by like five fifteen, be done eating by like six, six thirty. But practice starts at five thirty. So I leave from work and go right to practice. So that's my eating time. That's when my body is used to eating. So like I'm tanking in these practices like at the beginning. Like I'm starting to think if I'm even good enough to be at these practices with my teammates, like Ned and Hannah or Cook and me and like I'd go home like she asked me how practice goes. I like I always joke, I was like I joke That like yeah, I had to tell my wife I got beat by some ballhead head guy uh at practice and uh and my coach like he said it in like the most respectful way. It was funny how he made me laugh. He's like, You remind me of like a cross country like uh, middle schooler girl that's worried about her figure, and like you're not eating enough. Like you're literally not eating enough. You're not even taking in a thousand calories a day. Like that's very detrimental. So on Tuesdays, for example, now I actually have like a legit lunch. Like I have grilled chicken, protein shake, still have my rice cakes. I live off rice cakes. Nobody speak badly on rice cakes. Um, and then. Like I said, I go to practice right before I had that honey, and I've been different ever since. Like, I've killed my Tuesday runs 90% of the time now since I've changed that little part. Now I just need to know how to carry that in down the road uh, to get better. Uh, The biggest thing with me when it comes to the mental aspect of eating, that two-week taper, you know, that's when you start doing your carb load and everything, but like, I'm not like keto or anything like that, but I don't really eat much carbs. So that those used to give me like anxiety that first two weeks. That that, that two weeks of taper because like I'm eating stuff that's not what I eat, you know. And so with me, I have to slowly introduce it. So like that first week, I'm mad like couple cheese quesadillas because that shell is a carb or more rice cakes or more pretzels or even soft pretzels because i'm introducing the carbs in the, the week of the race oh man i'm going gung-ho i'm eating full baguettes from panera eating pasta i'm good to go but if i do that the first week of the taper i'm like shocking my body so i can't do that uh so it, i mean anxiety is definitely there the the two weeks of taper and it's not even about the race it's about what i'm putting my body because i'm it's like a high like i like being in a deficit it's not it's not healthy i know that i'm working on that but i get like a high off being in a certain calorie deficit that whole two weeks i'm like i'm in a surplus you know like i'm because you're not running as much you're not working out as much but you're eating more than usual so that whole two weeks, like I'm feeling like bigger. I'm feeling like I'm actually slow and things of that nature, but I'm not. But it's the mental aspect, you know, it messes with you.
1: I think first of all, thank you for being so open and just walking us through what it's like on a day to day basis. Can you give the listeners some other signs or tips that they should be looking out for? And uh, any and can you know any resources that helped you in the early days?
0: Yeah. So I mean, one thing with me was perfect example is my first marathon like you know i thought i had to be a certain way because you get to the start line i'm seeing all these like toothpicks in a way and i'm like all right uh so i was like 148 like i know i was starving man like i i I think about food all the time i'm thinking about food right now on this on this podcast um if i thought about food every time i if i ate food every time i thought about it i'd be i'd be pretty big so i have some self-control but like you well you gotta listen to your body when you're hungry just eat you gotta rash you gotta do the portion control things of that nature um you gotta enjoy the food like me sometimes it comes to a point where, like i would eat and i was just eating because i know if i didn't eat i, was, I would have somebody telling me i need to eat like so you want to be able to have that control of yourself to force yourself to eat because if you don't eat, you're just going to go down a bad path, man. It's, and it's not good. Look for like a change in your mood. Definitely. That's a big one. It is different than being hangry. (laughs) It's definitely different than being hangry for sure. You'll, you'll notice the difference. It's kind of hard to explain it, but like if you're eating and you feel bad for what you just ate, That's what I'm talking about. Uh, Like me, like, I don't eat a cookie often. If I eat one cookie, I'm like, man, why did I do that? Like, I'm really strict. Uh, It gets to the point, like, if my kids see me eat a cookie, they're like, daddy ate a cookie. Like, I should be able to eat a cookie with my kids and enjoy it, and they should be able to enjoy it, and we should be able to dump the Oreos and the milk and whatnot. But no, I I sit there and watch them eat. And then when I do eat, it's like a big accomplishment for them. (laughs) So... I'm I'm starting to listen up slowly. It's a it's a process. I can't just go from doing that stuff and then like next week I'm eating cookies with the kids or eating pizza with them like it's it's going to happen sooner or later. Uh, I got a goal uh, with my therapist to ch- cause my my go-to meal is pizza, man. After every race, I uh, you can bet that I'm going to eating some pizza like and so I know they say don't run for food. Oh, I run for food. Like, I, I, the week of a race, I'm already planning my meal. And then during the race, when it's getting hard and I want to quit, I'm like, if you quit, you're not getting that pizza. <laughs> and I, I haven't, so before Boston, the last like big race I had was in November. I have not had pizza from November until Boston, you know? So like, I really want that pizza, man. My goal now with my therapist is to try to have uh, a slice, at least one slice every other week things of that nature, because it's good for the kids to see too. And I got three girls, you know, with with daughters and on the lady side, it's more body conscious, and I want them to love their bodies and enjoy eating um, no matter what shape or size they are. And even though it's more on the female side, guys are like that too. They just need to be open up about it. Did I, do I feel like when I go to my therapist, that room, I'm the only guy in that room. It's I've been in there, one time in the waiting room, there's uh, four teenagers, four teenage girls. Like, yeah, it's you're gonna feel a little bit embarrassed, but you're getting help, and there's nothing to be embarrassed about.
1: I think that's a great point you mentioned there, mate. Like sometimes you feel embarrassed, but you like you, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. And also, we talked about with your daughters as well. And as you know, having kids, mate, they are they teach us more about ourselves uh, than we probably realized at the start. And like you're saying, you, to be self-aware that, you know, if you're showing restricted eating habits, they're picking up on that. You want them not to have that growing up. And I think that's an amazing thing to hear from yourself and taking that step forward.
0: Yeah, 100%, man. I mean, the kids pay attention more than what you think. <laughs> so I definitely want to be a, the best example that I can for them.
1: You know, I think at the elite level, we, we recently had Jake Smith talking openly about it. And I think it's really empowering to hear you speaking about it and other men in the space speaking about it. So thank you for being open about it.
0: Yeah, no problem. I mean, like I said, you you hear about it in the running world a lot and definitely hear about it on more on the female side. And like I said, more power to them for having the strength even come out about it. Cause overall it's hard to do, but on the men's side, it's definitely out there. Uh, they just got to be more open to it and accepting. Uh, it, it's hard to be accepting to it. I've, t- I've taken it on the chin and I'm facing it. I'm going to get better. And at the end of the day, if I want to get faster and be better and be the face of Black Running or any type of brand or anything like that, I got to make sure my body's in 100% and I need to do that by feeding my body.
1: Absolutely, man. Self awareness is, is, is crucial. And I uh, know, thank you for sharing that. Philip King put the question in it's like, for next year, are you going to make sure you've got J's on your feet?
0: My guy, Phil, yeah I'm going to ask my Jays on my feet for sure I I might break out Some exclusive stuff for y'all We'll see what happens Uh, But yeah, I definitely definitely look forward to getting back with you guys And then, side note uh, Phil and I Were talking about getting a little training camp together Out in uh, Flagstaff or Boulder A few of us uh, About 7 to 10 of us Getting a big Airbnb and Just grinding out for a week some elevation uh i know it might be a travel for you but it'd be it'd be fun to have you out there man
1: yeah send me the dates man i, I think that's amazing
0: yeah no problem it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a training camp it's, that's how we talked about it gonna get airbnb it's gonna be some it's gonna be us guys chilling uh we're gonna have the camera rolling and it's gonna be a fun time make some memories and get better
1: absolutely we say chilling but like Chilling after the running.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chilling after the run. It's gonna be running first. And yeah. me personally, I'm I'm gonna try to get us to do some two a days in there. Uh start <laughs> off the easy runs in the morning, get us a hard run in the evening, and then finish on a long run that Saturday, and then we get a little wild, maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I I'm 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 game for that. So uh and like you said, Phil's such a good guy as well. I just wanna go back to the, the sneaker drop. So I know you've got some exclusives. Can you talk about any recent sneaker purchases or any that you're looking forward to getting a pair of?
0: Man, the crazy—I would say my the the shoe that I actually uh, care about the most. Uh, it was it came out in 2011. This is Concord. It was a ra- crazy release, the Jordan 11 Concord. As my senior year of high school, I camped outside for over 10 hours for that shoe. Uh, and I've only worn it once <laughs> since then. <laughs> uh, and it, you know, I, I have a rule. So my rule is like the six-month rule when I get a new pair of Jordans or like an exclusive shoe. I wait at least six months to wear that shoe, and it's usually even longer than that because by the time I wear my shoe, everybody's already wore their shoe and they've already messed it up. And it's going to make them <laughs> even more jealous of me. So I got like a lot of Jordans on on ice, man. got my Cool Grays, got my Bread 11s, my Space Jams. Definitely big on the 11s. I got. I'm a big three guy too. I like the threes a lot. Uh, but one of my, one of my rare shoes in my collection, I got the KD four Pearl, uh, all pink shoe. But the nice. KD four was one of his most exclusive shoes. Like that shoe, back. That's back when he had control over the prices too. That that was a ninety dollar shoe, and I was working at Full Locker at the time. I got it for sixty dollars. And on top of that, the resale price on it is stupid, but I'm, n- I'm never going to resell it. Um, I had a big Kobe collection. Uh, fortunately, I, I sold some of those shoes before his death. I would never sell them. out. A- I'm never selling them after, ever. They're going to stay with me. I don't care if I wear them or not. Um, I just Now I wish I had those shoes that I sold because I had some pretty exclusive Kobe's too.
1: I'm pretty sure there's one I remember seeing I forget the the, the name of it but like there's one for Friends and Family and then they did a a release for the general public it was slightly different
0: Uh, it could have been the ones for Gigi that just released
1: those are the ones
0: but really man I'd like to get some bread ones you know how hard those are to get the the thing is people used to sleep on the ones now everybody has to have them
1: it's so true like uh, I go back to it Carl was on um, the podcast before and we were talking about the same thing and he said years ago he was wearing the ones and people used to laugh at him they're like what the hell is that on foot and now like you're saying like everyone's going crazy for them you see like the panda versions is, or the lost and found versions is, it's just sort of so many versions coming out
0: it's all a hype beast man they, yeah. they kill the resellers kill the game but yeah, yeah. I'm a, like I said I'm a big on the 11s big on threes if I can get my hands on some ones uh, I'm cool with those as well and uh, really a shoe that slept on is the ones with the low ones. I feel like the Jordan low ones, they hit with the right outfit. They hit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I feel like 11s are a classic, but they're just breathability wise, you know, they're always that great. But I think like as a, as a comfortable shoe, I feel like the Threes for me work really well. I could wear them all day to be honest.
0: I got about five pairs of threes, different colors. <laughs> so yeah, I definitely agree with you. I, the last Jordan I got, since I've been, most of my money now goes to running shoes, you know, but uh, the last Jordan I got was, what's it that he got? No, playoff 13s that just came out a few months ago. And the crazy thing is, so my coach, he's an older guy. <laughs> he, he's an older white guy nobody would expect to wear it. Jordans. Like, him and I, we'll text all day about some Jordans and some releases. Like, you wouldn't even expect him to have some uh, shoe game like he, he's nice with it. Uh, I've done looked out for him too on a pair of shoes here and there. Uh, we'll text each other on release day. But hey, did you get this shoe? Did you try? <laughs> like he's he's swagged out. I tell you, uh, I mean, with all the people that he trains, he can he. It's easier for him to get the shoes than it is me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do you think of the the low elevens?
0: Um, yeah, the low elevens are cool. I've really that's the crazy thing i like the low ones i never really been a fan of the low 11s all the way but certain colorways do look good uh like the ones that just came out the white and gray those those are nice those are clean i wish i would have got them but i mean i was it was like close to boston i need to save my money for boston so i had to pick and choose
1: i hate those moments you, you're thinking about it and then you don't push the button and then you see everyone wearing them
0: <laughs> i know as soon as you hold them in hand you're like dang
1: like, when yeah, yeah. If
0: your buddy gets the shoe that you was thinking about, you're like, man. <laughs>
2: but
0: no, the Jordan 4 woman, it's a woman's colorway, but I mean, I got small feet, so it works for me. Uh, It's the irons, so they're like a gray, it's a gray Jordan 4, it's a neutral color, it's perfect, goes with a lot of things, comes out in July, Uh, you have to look it up. Uh, That's one on my radar.
1: Are they gray? Yes, sir. I know. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, they look clean, to an honest. Yeah, I like them. I think people, it's gonna be hard to describe it, especially in an audio format. But yeah, it's grey. Different shades of grey. Is that like a suede look in that at all?
0: Yeah. Uh, lately, I lately uh, Jordan brand has been nice with suede. Like, it's been good. So hopefully, the material is not too bad on this one.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that looks good, man. I, I like that. I think the last one of fours I got was yes bees, uh, the green ones. Mhm.
0: Those are nice.
1: I like those a lot. Yeah. I'm just saving for summer.
0: <laughs> I need another pair of black cement threes that you had on. Because uh, I had the 2011 like Black Friday release, and they're clean. But, you know, I mean, 2011, so they're starting to crack a little bit. So I don't wear them as much as I would like. But, yeah, they're. I love them. I love my shoe collection. Honestly, <laughs> so back in high school, I was voted most likely I had 200 pairs of shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was I do with the shoes and I was close to it, but then right before we had our first kid, I sold because we moved to a different location. She went, my wife wanted to be closer to her her mom, so we moved up, uh, north in Indy, and I sold some shoes, and I actually used that money to pay for her first wedding ring, (laughs) so it went to a good cause, and now I flipped that wedding ring, got her even better one, so yeah.
1: It all worked out well in the end for this. Yes, sir. I love talking about sneakers. You know, I just want to sort of say, Rob, it's been a pleasure talking to you on The Runner's Life, taking a deep dive into Boston, talking about disordered eating for men. I think it's really important. Where can people follow your journey online?
0: Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Instagram, RobJack15. Once again, that's RobJack15, all one word. But yeah, follow me. Hopefully I got some content that you like. Uh, this summer i'm gonna, I'm gonna get some footage up of the workouts tune in i'm working on some deals that might come through if they do i have a little bit of sponsorships coming hopefully they all come out but we'll see
1: i hope so man i think yeah keep doing what you're doing man i think it's needed for the culture rob it's been a pleasure talking to you in a runner's life podcast i'll see you in berlin
0: i appreciate you i appreciate you my guy i can't wait to meet up again
1: thank you for listening to this episode of a runner's life podcast if you've enjoyed this conversation, please do subscribe to be notified of new episodes. If something resonates with you, please let me know and share online. Also, you could do me a massive favour by leaving your review on the podcast platform which you selected as it helps the podcast grow. Your support helps make this podcast possible. If you've got any questions, please do get in touch with me on my Instagram page at Marcus underscore runs. Your time is valuable. Thank you again for sharing your time with me.